Good afternoon. Welcome to this serious weekly seminar at Purdue University. Uh, before we get started, I want to let everybody know that if you'd like to submit a question, you can do so by using the Q&A button. Uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce our speakers for today. Dr. Brian Barnier has pioneered critical systems and industrial design thinking in the cybersecurity discipline. He's a co-founder of the Think Design Cyber Institute. He's also author of the Operational Risk Handbook and has been quoted and interviewed numerous times by many mainstream media organizations. Prachi Kale is a co-founder of Think Design Cyber and is a founding executive fellow of the Cyber Theory Institute. Her career spans multiple disciplines focusing on cybersecurity and tech, business strategy, diversity and inclusion, and executive coaching. Today, the talk is about making cybersecurity reliable and cybersecurity careers rewarding. Brian and Prachi, thank you so much for joining us today. Please take it away. Thank you, Mike. Um, Brian, the floor is yours. Take it away. Hello, everybody. Thank you for getting me off mute, Mike. <laughs> so what we're talking about today is this notion of how we can make cybersecurity reliable and cyber careers more rewarding. And this is gonna draw on a lot of your Midwest background and your Purdue background. But first, just to frame this a little bit and with a hat tip to Professor Spafford and his new book, which um, is just, Great. So we're going to consider these questions, critical questions in the spirit of Professor Spafford's book. So why is there so much burnout and stress among cyber professionals? And yet, why are incidents and breaches occurring despite all the years we spent on this? And why, more interestingly, does root cause analysis show that most breaches are self-inflicted? due to errors in the math and method that are used by cyber pros. And what specifically helps or contributes to cyber pros feeling set up to fail in the surveys? And then lastly, why aren't cyber pros supported as well as professionals in other disciplines? And this, again, big hat tip to Professor Spafford's new book where he's going to be a he is addressing a lot of the things that we're talking about. And I don't know why the light just turned off. Uh, so, um, so here is Purdue. And here is the Purdue train. And it's just a mascot. And everything you need to know about the backgrounds and what's going on here can be taken in cybersecurity can be taken from this photo because this is a machine. It's a system that works together to produce a result. And that's what we're gonna be keying into here in this conversation. So just keep that in mind. And as we go through this, we'll be reviewing the critical thinking, systems thinking, and industrial strength design thinking that you're all exposed to at Purdue. And when I say industrial strength design thinking, that has, has a specific meaning to it. And that is that it's different than what you may be familiar with for user experience or human-centered. This also includes how it's manufactured, 
how it's used by real people, how it's supported and serviced by real people, and yes, also the aesthetics to make it nice. So let's just do a little level set here. First of all, on critical thinking with Professor Spafford's book about myths and misconceptions. And I love that title because there is so much folklore that's out there in the cybersecurity land. And then here's your Purdue Systems Collaboratory, and which this program is already participating in as part of a project with Boeing. And notice the systems thinking here at the bottom. This is where we're bringing together critical thinking, systems thinking, and design thinking all in a package. More on systems thinking. This is W. Odard's Deming, and Purdue has hosted Deming Institute conferences. At, you know this building. Just three points about Deming. First of all, the common causes, what he termed common causes, but you also might have heard that as structural flaws. These are things that are designed into a method, a system, a process that sets people up for failure or success. And in Deming's view, like 98%, almost everything was a designed in thing that set up workers for failure. Um, W. Deming had a mentor named Walter Schuhart, and together they did the plan, do, study, act cycle, which you may be familiar with from other methods. It's part of ISACA's COVID, for example. And then Deming had a system of building knowledge. He called it profound knowledge, but he created a system to help people understand the systems in which they were working. Very powerful stuff, and we'll be echoing that as we go along. And by the way, Deming was a farm boy from Iowa. Now, taught at Peru, Purdue, I, especially in the stats department, is the Ishikawa or fishbone diagram. And this has been diagnosing problems for literally decades. And it's my favorite of the systems and root cause analysis techniques because it has this fishbone for the environment. And that's very important to understand the environment, as we'll see as we step through this. So step one is to understand the environment. What is the nature of a system? In systems thinking and systems engineering and system science, there are various dimensions. We're going to briefly go through that. But if you don't understand the nature of the system, then you are absolutely set up to fail when it comes time to select the methods, because the methods are inappropriate for the system. Think about having a bowstring for a violin in a saxophone. The methods are inappropriate or having the wrong sports gear. You don't go playing uh, hockey with equipment for football. You've got to have those aligned. Now, the methods then cascade into the appropriate data and measures to both diagnose and track your progress. And then that cascades into selecting the equipment. And in cyber, you can think of all the myriad uh, point solutions that are out there, over 5,000, as Prachi will mention in a minute. Now, when we go through these steps, what is absolutely vital is 
the systems understanding sets up the methods, sets up the measures, and sets up the equipment. If this is done right, people are set up for success. If this is done wrong, people are set up for failure. And this is a vital, important point to take from all of your Purdue education and all of the Midwest industrial mindset. So when we bring this mindset in industrial strength design thinking, then we can see things like Henry Ford Academy in Dearborn, Michigan, your own locomotive, and then Lewis Sullivan style architecture in Chicago. He was a pioneer in steel girder building construction and a giant in industrial strength design thinking. But it's not just the Midwest. We go way out to Silicon Valley and here's Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak with this quote that Prachi found that I love. See, systems thinking is about how it works. Well, Steve Jobs blended that with design thinking and said, design is how it works. So this is just absolutely vital. And here they're holding a hardware board for an early Apple computer. Yeah, and Brian, just one more point here. We're bringing all these concepts to you right now. The invitation for the audience here is to look at the idea of fixing cybersecurity through the lens of design thinking by learning how to think like a designer. Again, many of you may be familiar with this. The notion is not to become a designer, but to understand how complex problems are broken down into its components using design thinking by understanding how it works and then applying other concepts and methods. So in order to challenge assumptions, look at things with different lenses, Brian is gonna elaborate that in a little bit. And then understand how you can apply the design thinking process itself in order to formulate the solutions that apply um, and suitable and are suitable to your organizations whenever you get back there. If you're already working part time, that too uh, applies. Um, and then go from there. I just wanted to make that point, Brian. All right. So there's lots of examples of success in design thinking in industries and in professional disciplines. I'll just point out two here to highlight them. One, you can go on Netflix and view the Disney Pixar story. This is about the design of the methods to design the first CG film, Toy Story, and about the design of the business model. When Disney originally showed John Lasseter the door for wanting to do CG, and then they bought Pixar. The other one, that's a movie is McDonald's just up the way in Chicago. And if you watch the movie, The Founder, uh, where Michael Keaton, then look for the basketball court scene where they're designing the kitchen. And that is absolutely awesome. Lots of design elements. And by the way, Chipotle, Prachi and I were in SoCal not too long ago. Chipotle and all these others, Starbucks are all following in the footsteps of what Ray Kroc did as played by Michael Keaton. Yeah, and the, the idea, Brian, just one point there um, that I wanted to punch was design thinking for business models and great innovative products works amazing. From a cybersecurity perspective, again, the invitation here is to look at it from a process and operations. It's also applied to leadership, organizational change, and culture. 
Um, and that's the area where we're talking about gaps in cybersecurity that makes it unreliable as we're seeing it today. And, and something I wanted to say, cybersecurity, the word itself has become an oxymoron, right? Cyber and security just doesn't jive anymore. <laughs> um, and then the culture aspect around creating a culture of security within an organization and even within the cybersecurity department, as many of you may end up, um, end up in, uh, in your roles in the future. All right. So as Prachi just foreshadowed, there's <laughs> a whole bunch of accelerators, innovation labs, foundries that you walk past on campus every day. And look at the range and diversity of these. These are all part of what you can draw on and how you can enrich yourself by understanding how these problems are solved with critical thinking, systems thinking, and design thinking. But again, hat tip for Professor Spafford, because it all starts with that critical thinking that's part of his book. So drawing on your Purdue toolkit, your knowledge building, we'll preview these questions as we go through. What makes work difficult for cyber pros? We already saw a little bit about that in the Ishikawa diagram. And what causes incidents and breaches? Again, the Ishikawa diagram can be replied or applied to these various areas. So Prachi, this slide. So this slide, we're gonna show you a series of images and reflect on these as they start popping up on um, the screen. 5,000 plus vendor point products, constrained resources, hamster wheel futility, mistrust and infighting, silos, work-life conflict, stress and burnout, groupthink and conformity. I'd invite folks in the chat just to, just to point out where they think are the highest issue, is the most prevalent issue in cybersecurity. Um, feel free to put it in chat or you know, unmute your speakers and just shout it out. Uh, but these are issues that have been reported most widely by cybersecurity people managers across the industry, across the globe. And we are collecting data on this in our academic survey just to, just to identify which one of these are the highest ones. They all exist in different organizations. Um, the point here is, I'm gonna see if somebody puts it in chat or not, but the point here is these are all issues that have nothing to do with technology and nothing to do directly with threats and attacks. These are what we call symptoms. Absolutely, Zuhair, thank you for adding stress and burnout, 100%. Um, and, and, and without solving these, so again, these are symptoms that are, people are solving. Um, Drew says plus one, thank you, <laughs> that people are looking to do but have nothing to do with what's going on in the threat and, you know, the threat and attacks in the adversarial world. So what is going on? We started looking and our work started happening when, in my experience in the cybersecurity industry, I've managed, you know, over $150 million worth of investments over a number of years. And constantly the problem was not the threats and attacks and the outside issues. The problems were always internal. I mean, I've acquired teams and stakeholders and some very set of unhappy stakeholders several times, and it had nothing to do with how, my, how well we implemented point solutions or peripheral um, security products. So moving on from here, we started looking under the hood. And just one point to note, um, I invite everybody 
Again, Zuhair, as you mentioned, Heidrichin struggles, great survey, go out and look at it. It was published two months ago, two or three months ago. Um, and then the key point to point here was CISOs today, rightfully so, rate stress and burnout over their, um, their uh, issue of facing job loss in case of a breach. So that affirms um, the survey we're doing and we're getting ready to publish that study as well. So Brian, back to you. All right. So just a few mechanics here. Think of any incident or breach. Is it already in the MITRE attack chart? Mm -hmm. And tragically, so many of these are. This is SolarWinds Orion. On the left, a bit from CISA, and then I did a call out on the MITRE attack chart. So if it's already there, why do we keep having these breaches? And here's another view. We've got all these certifications, frameworks, and controls. Several of these I've contributed to. But what I wanted to point out is that these are different. These are different because most of these are based on bookkeeping checks where they're going through and saying checklist, checklist, checklist. And one of the things that infuriates us working on these is you know, we labored on the initial, you know, 10, 12 pages, and then, you know, the checklist we just add to, and nobody reads the first 10, 12 pages. They just jump to the checklist and do it. So all the stuff that we wrote about systems thinking and everything is a mess. For example, I was on COVID and we really tried to broaden the scope because a framework, the definition of our framework is a comprehensive understanding of a system or others say a phenomenon, depends on the discipline you're in, but not in cybersecurity. We've got all these things called frameworks that really aren't. I talk a COBIT on our team, we tried to make it broad. It's not always as detailed because we just build bridges to um, uh, service management or uh, our IT architecture framework or the um, project management. So, and then the NIST 800-160, fabulous piece of work spearheaded by Ron Ross at NIST. And what that does is it looks at secure systems engineering tying into an ISO framework, and, but it's not ISO 27001. No, that's a bookkeeping checklist. What it ties off to is an ISO IEEE uh, systems engineering framework. And so I encourage you to look that up. But I've got stories about all of these, but the point is, is that a framework needs to be comprehensive to have that Deming Ishikawa, Midwest industrial strength design thinking, Steve Jobs view, and all these things that are commonly called frameworks do not have that. And now yeah. we'll go to controls, but Prachi, I think oh, you've got a point to add. Yeah, so just this, the narrative that has become popular in in today's you know news outlets and media and amongst you know general population is that every breach is sophistic more sophisticated than the last one and that's a fallacy right as we start to look into what happened i mean any breach as brian said is self-inflicted so what is going on why is it that this is happening despite all these certifications frameworks and controls and what can we do about it right Again, if my symptoms have nothing to do with technology, 
my breaches are pretty straightforward. What is going on? It's obviously symptomatic of something deeper, something more foundational, something more obscure that people are not able to see and, and, and you know, get their hands heads and hands wrapped around. All right. So uh, Fred Cohen, also a Midwesterner from Ohio, um, he said there's only two things that attackers have to do. One is identify the assumptions and then violate them. And when the assumptions are made around weak frameworks and weak controls, as we'll see in a moment, this is pretty easy. And another thing that Prachi and I talk about is all you've got to do as an attacker is go watch old movies on Netflix and eat popcorn and you come up with lots of ideas uh, for attack vectors. Um, you know, think about every infrastructure attack that is you know, 1960 version of Ocean's Eleven with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. So this is not hard for the attackers at all. And then here's a question that I ask in uh, big audiences where I got three, 500 people. How many people are actually focused on the attackers versus how many people are checkers, checking, checkers, checking, checkers? And then this is a big problem in cybersecurity today, and it's completely the opposite of what Mr. Toyota said, uh, Mr. Deming and Mr. Ishikawa. This is a just a huge resource waste when so much resource is consumed internally instead of focused on the enemy. And the checkers, checking, checkers, checking, checkers is really the lines of defense model where we're talking about the first, like second, third line. It works well from a compliance standpoint, but what essentially we've observed is it puts brilliant resources against each other for the purposes of cybersecurity. When you want to look at, I mean, aside from insider risk, but when you want to start looking at compliance related issues or fraud and things like that, that makes sense. But for cybersecurity, it was adopted, but it doesn't make sense because now I have a brilliant IT network expert fighting with a risk assessor, and then both of them getting beaten up by an audit folks when my attacker is outside the organization. And that results in that internal antagonism. One of the biggest things I coach my clients in, and these are senior cyber executives or aspiring executives um, and people managers, are having a hard time bridging that connection with the partners because on the one side you're assessing them and on the other side you know you want to partner with them to come up with solutions to make your transformation more secure or to go um, you know or to go uh, toward the bad guys actors okay so again with a hat tip for professor spafford these hazards and pitfalls which is the subtitle of his book can be revealed with critical thinking. We got the notion of how do we look at the problem? And that's, Prachi will talk later about having diverse high-performing teams to look at all aspects of the product or the problem. And then we've got these uh, pieces from the organizational behavior profession and literature, structural blindness and cognitive bias. So structures are about the way we design our organizations, the way we design our information flows, anything that we design about our organization that blocks communication and innovation. And then we've got the cognitive biases like groupthink that Professor Spafford has in his book. And 
outdated methods. So his references to myths and misconceptions. As Prachi already teed up, these are problems that tech absolutely positively cannot solve. So let me walk you through an example of something that we do with professionals. And I frame it by understanding what a real control is. And this is a control from over 200 years ago for a steam engine, so very relevant to boilermakers and locomotives. But um, to keep the steam engine from blowing up or the boiler from blowing up, these balls start spinning around and around and they release, the more energy is pushed to them, the more release, they release pressure from inside the boiler. So no big explosion. This is a control, a real control, an automated control from over 200 years ago. But what we have mostly in cybersecurity are bookkeeping checks imported from the audit profession, not the automated controls. In all those things that we go through and burn all and waste our time on. So we do these outcomes accelerator workshops. And this one I picked is just the controls chain of fitness because it's just um, uh, convenient for a lot of people. And what we discover is that when we do this with you know, people at their table teams is that most controls are not efficient or effective. Now, why is this? It's because they're not using systems thinking. They're just taking and going down the checklist of bookkeeping stuff. They're not looking at the whole controls chain everything necessary to make the locomotive go down the tracks and not explode. So failing in systems thinking and then systems math is not done. And this is one of the very frustrating things for cyber professionals who have been in the discipline since the early 2000s, because it used to be the same systems math and systems reliability math that was done for um, IT, availability, continuity, all this kind of stuff. Think uh, Black Friday coming up, think Cyber Monday coming up, all this kind of stuff. Although this year, all the sales started earlier. But that's the kind of math that will be done. And this is not being done in cybersecurity. And then the outcomes. First of all, this is a very empowering to people because it gives them the tools. And we've got more than these two tools but these are the two main ones. It empowers them to make decisions with confidence, whereas they all know they don't have confidence in the accounting or bookkeeping checks that they're being told to do. The other big piece is that management loves it because finally management can see risk the way they see risk in product management, in operations, in manufacturing, customer service, marketing, sales, finance, everywhere else in the business where risk is tied to outcomes, not the stuff that we normally do in cybersecurity. So if you could put up our poll, Mike, what's the reality of the system in which cybersecurity lives? Is it linear stable or is it complex and dynamic? And I've just put some of the other attributes down here. And then we've got another poll coming up on introverts and extroverts. And you can also answer this that will be uh, 
part of uh, what Prachi will present in a little bit. But this is an important thing. This goes back to the Ishikawa diagram. And Mike, whenever you see sufficient answers going, you can push this. And I have to smile because I'm a victim of design thinking. I've got to move my chair or stand up uh, because this is a LEED certified building and they always want to turn the lights off. So Mike, do we have enough answers in? And we can progress? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We've got 71% uh, participation here. All right, great. What does the answer look like, Mike, for the first question? <clears throat> first question, 17% uh, answered the first one and 83% for complex dynamics. Yeah, great. so complex dynamics is what we're after. And the um, it is a very different uh, form of things. The when you bring in auditing procedures, everybody's got name badges that you're trying to get. They're cheating on their expense accounts. They're accelerating sales. They may be paying bribes to a foreign power. This is very different than when the enemies are unknown and emerging and there's no rules. And so this is where the Ishikawa piece really is so super helpful. All right, and this bridges us to controls because bookkeeping controls and automated systems methods are very different. Bookkeeping, you're looking, you're doing reporting in the past in a stable, highly rules-based system from the SEC down to FASB and everything. And your high-end threat is, you know, bribes and bezeling. By contrast, for aviation, much less cybersecurity, your future performance in a different type of system and with the high-end threat being cyber warfare. So what does this summarize into? A wrong assumption about the nature of the system leads to a wrong assumption about the methods, leads to wrong math, leads to wrong tech selected, as Tom Holland at Forrester once called it, expense in depth, where people are buying all these products that don't interoperate very well and fail a whole bunch of tests. And they set up cyber pros to fail. Now, what I've done just here as I just walked through the Ishikawa diagram for you. Boom. So this is how powerful that is. And I, when I was looking it up on the Purdue website, somebody's even animated it for you. But this is a meme. And this has been a meme for years and years and years, you know, almost a century. And this Charlie Topham one was just put up in three years ago, and it's got you know almost 76 million hits. And it's been done over and over and over again. The point I'm making, starting out with the Purdue locomotive, is that it's in Purdue's blood to improve. It's in your DNA because of these methods. And it's all available to you to make a difference when you're in competitions or when you're applying for jobs. So Prachi, learn change and potential. Yeah. So 
what we've covered so far in depth and very fast. So reach out to us if you have follow-up questions. Um, is set up the what of the problem and the why it's happening and some concepts that we've applied and some you know ideas from great thinkers who really transformed other industries with their novel ideas at the time and now common practice. And so by knowing the what and the why, the how becomes simpler. And that goes a lot with analyticals here. So we're using the what and the why, and now we're gonna go into how about how did we come, how did we sort of compile our, our suite of solutions um, into solving these problems as once we discovered, we walked through the you know, root cause analysis and our minds were blown really around what is going on. And so what happened, how do people learn and how do people change? Um, knowing the what and the why is helpful and how is really the process of changing what we've learned so far, unlearning that and learning new things. And then that leads to obviously all of us having our goals and aspirations, our true purpose. And for me, true potential as a coach, that's what I help people get to um, through the process that we've put together. Brian, next slide. So this is a poll that we were going to ask about the introvert or extrovert, Mike. I don't know if you've already got answers to that one. Yes, I do. So we have 65% uh, introvert and 35% extrovert. Amazing. So that just proved my point. What we have not covered so far are the personality types in cybersecurity. So introverts, congratulations. You are in large numbers in cybersecurity. Um, and as a world population, you know, we, and I say myself, I'm an ambivert that skews introvert. Um, Brian is a diehard introvert. Um, but we're in large numbers in cybersecurity and the way the, the discipline is evolving and the way our roles are changing and the pressures, it's, it's having actually, it's a great opportunity for introverts to step up because we're naturally creative, we're naturally good problem solvers and we're naturally good at leading, which sometimes feels as a myth to people or just like, it's like a mind trick, but that is essentially true. So we're also looking at the personalities in cybersecurity, personality types in cybersecurity, excuse me, um, and, and infusing that into some of our solutioning there. And I personally work with a lot of introverts, helping them with their personal brand, with their networking, and helping them become more visible and vocal in boardrooms and in um, senior meetings. Brian, next slide, please. And so, what is the point of all of this, right? So look, looking, at, looking at it all collectively, we're looking at the personality types and then, and then um, how us collectively, you and I, in going back into the industry in our daily jobs are infusing curiosity and the design mindset and then really using critical thinking, systems thinking, design thinking together and applying that to formulate solutions that don't exist today. Brian, next slide, or unless you have any comments. Okay, keep going. And so um, how we build knowledge in daily life, we touched upon this a little bit on the Deming side. So this is how we have formulated again, some of the things we're doing with introverts, extroverts and the design thinking process. One is the foundation. These are pretty much your 101, 201 level, you know, wide breadth of knowledge or courses that we have created. Brian and I are just about to launch a course on design thinking for cybersecurity. So that's sort of the foundational knowledge about these problems and how to apply these and some use cases that are out there. The second step to this one really is the important one that has never been done in cybersecurity before is to offer um, coaching that is completely tailored for cybersecurity needs and demands 
for people in you know sort of the entry to senior level different different nuances but think about this like is having coaching for different sport you know positions in different sports games right or having specific coaches to help you with your violin uh, music just much like this girl who's a Juilliard student and then the third step um, is really about learning together this is by far, you're in a university, you can go research. Adult learning really works well in a peer learning format in, in teams and in groups. So we've, what Brian walked you through in our case study where the outcomes accelerator workshops, where you come up with solutions together. And this is really important in learning how do you bring in every individual person's knowledge, their talent, their skills, their abilities, and apply it to the, pro the problem solving process. And how do you, when you're in a company, and you're leading teams. How you how do you transform your um, how do you transform your team into a diverse, high-performing team and be inclusive in your leadership? And it's, and and for introverts, that is a classic opportunity to really shine. I think we've been in the shadows so far, you know, for a long time, and this is really our opportunity to step up to the plate and step up to a very very strong leadership today that cybersecurity industry is screaming for. Brian, next slide. I just wanted to point out the reference to uh, Deming, and uh, yeah. you can go online to Deming uh, on the YouTube channel and uh, look up this red bead experiment. If you can't find it, it's on the Think Design Cyber LinkedIn page, but there's a lot of versions of this, but Deming's is so good because Deming brings in all three of these elements. And these are used over and over and over again to, you know, help. And I just want to acknowledge there was a question in the chat, which we'll get to right after we close. So I just wanted to make sure to let the, the person know that um, I did read it. It's on introverts. <laughs> All right. So this is so rich and so powerful. All right. So just to review in closing here. Um, We've got the burnout and stress, the incidents and breaches that are still occurring. But when we do the root cause analysis, most are self-inflicted. It's not a tech problem. And the methods set up cyber pros to fail and it just wastes huge amounts of resources. Think about schools and hospitals and everybody else that has small cybersecurity departments. Why waste so many resources? And then, Cyber pros are not empowered with all those Deming type elements. And it's not just Deming, but it's this whole school of thought, critical systems and design thinking with those resources that are available to them. But the good news is that the solution is straightforward. It's a solved problem in other professional disciplines. And it's not just methods, back to Deming's point, but it's how knowledge is built. And so one final hat tip to Professor Stafford for his new book, because it all starts with critical thinking. Raji? Yeah, so just a list of resources for everybody who liked to dig into more information, much like myself. Um, the Operational Risk Handbook was uh, published by Brian about a decade ago, Brian, now. Um, and has a lot of, lot of good information, um, very foundational um, 
content to the work that we're doing today. For those of you who are interested in the GRC space, want to learn more about controls and where all our conversation was sort of um, based upon is this great paper on why controls have become wasteful. Again, this is several years ago. Um, is very popular article as well there out there. And our last two and most recent papers, Cybersecurity, the end game, um, you know, for Avengers fan, just a little bit there. Um, but uh, we have outlined all the structural flaws, we covered controls and a little bit on frameworks, but there are some other ones in cyber, you know, in the cybersecurity field that we have identified and published this academic paper. So I invite all of you to see this. Um, and just as I wrap this up, um, I, you know, I use the word invitation because it's really a choice. What we have offered to you today is a sort of deep dive or somewhat deep dive into the work that we're doing in solving cybersecurity and making it reliable and in turn making our careers rewarding, right? There is no company today or no organization that can make that claim. And we are jumping into this mission in bringing it to um, to universities, to different organizations. So we invite you to join us in this mission, go back and self-reflect because many of you who are not already working or who are and aspiring to be leaders in cybersecurity organizations, this is our opportunity to start driving change and, 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 start, and stop that FUD approach of fear, uncertainty, doubt, and the ambulance chasing around you know, the next big breach or the next whatever, but really hone in, hunker down and start um, working together in solving problems that tech cannot solve and then use technology in a way that can solve the problems that we're solving so that those attackers and all those threats out there don't get ahead of us. So again, this is an invitation. Please self-reflect. Um, if you have any questions, we're available um, on LinkedIn. Brian, I think it's on the next slide. Um, and uh, we'd be happy to answer questions or Mike, you know, if you want to send them to us in email, if you know, students ask you later, we're happy to do that as well. And just to plug to keep in touch with your faculty oh, yes. there because um, this whole Think Design Cyber started from a project that was inspired by my former professor at Michigan, Merle Crawford. And he contributed a chapter to the handbook and I built two other chapters off of that. And 10 years later, this is where we are. So always, stay in touch with your faculty and all the great ideas they have. Um, you never know what amazing things may happen in your life. So Prachi, we've got, uh, do you wanna handle the introvert comment? Um, uh, sure. So the question for those of you who haven't um, read it, and again, please be, we welcome everybody to type in their, in their chat or unmute when we're done with this one. Uh, but can you please explain how an introvert makes a better decision than an extrovert in solving problems? Um, better decisions, depending on the circumstance and the, and the um, situation, obviously, right? So everything is based around situation and context. So I want to preface my answer with that. Um, if you go back to the slide on the introvert and extrovert, Brian, just, you know, I have a comparison there. So the it's a myth that one makes better decisions than the other. The opportunity is that introverts are naturally self-reflective and they are very intentional in decision-making. Now, that does not mean that all introverts know how to use that superpower or hidden power because most of it's the introverts think that they're socially awkward people who don't want to talk to people. 
Uh, my sister is an introvert. My best friend is an introvert. Brian is an introvert. I don't know how I managed to attract so many introverts in my life. Um, and most of my team, uh, before I became the co-founder in the cybersecurity space, um, are introverts. Um, so a lot of my stakeholders are introverts. But um, so the idea is you're naturally self-reflective. You're naturally bent towards um, synthesizing problems in a, in a different way, right? You take the time, you look into things, you, we look into, and when I say you, I mean everybody, including myself, we look at things in a more step-by-step -step manner. And that contemplation gives us the ability to articulate or formulate our answers in a good way. Again, that doesn't mean everybody knows how to use those innate powers. That's where I work with them in the coaching, at least with the people who come to me for coaching to learn how to do that. And that really starts to set yourself apart. Another free tip I'll give you is from a leadership standpoint. A key aspect of leadership, and you'll read this in many books, and many of you will get this feedback, is active listening and really being able to be, um, what's it called? The eye of the storm when crisis happens. And in that case, also introverts naturally because our uh, tendency to, to listen to other people more than talk um, or our, our um, choice rather, you know, something we like to do is to talk less. Um, naturally, again, gives us the uh, ability to become good leaders. Leaders are born, leaders are made. They both can be true depending on what you make out of your situation. Is that helpful, Ninat? I can add to that that there is also a technique called the Q to Q ratio, which is a ratio of questions that you ask to learn versus the questions that are asked of you. Yes. And people who yep. are very directive, they are telling people. Yes. But it's look at Steve Jobs, look at H. Ross Perot, look at maniac question answers, askers. Uh, there's this great video of Steve Jobs out on YouTube, and it's reflecting back years later on his first visit to the Xerox Palo Alto research facility. And he said, if I only stayed longer, mm -hmm. I would have accelerated Apple by years, but I didn't. And that lesson stuck with me all my life. So I was just a maniacal question asker. H. Ross Perot the same way. Yep. And others, but that is where question asking becomes so important again to Professor Spafford's book. Nina, just um, I, it was a well thought answer because I'm the best in the business who's doing this. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. Mike, back to you, unless you have questions in the Q&A section. I didn't see any more come in, but folks, um, feel free to ask questions. We're here to answer. Um, answer any questions that you may have. Yeah, I don't see any in there, but yeah, please use the Q&A button. Um, or if you'd like to raise your hand, I could turn your mic on as well. Yeah. Everybody got everything? All right, you're empowered. I look forward to seeing Purdue be winners in many cyber competitions. Benjamin's got a question. Okay, let's see. Oh, I, no. I, I don't have a question. I think I think that I raised my hand by mistake. Sorry about that. <laughs> sure, no problem. 
All right. So I look forward to Purdue Cyber Center winning lots of competitions. You all getting great jobs and you applying this yeah. sort of industrial strength design thinking from your heritage. It's in your blood. It's in your DNA to making cyber so much better than it is and much less work-life stress. Yeah, and um, design thinking in general can be used for your daily life. I actually use that in my coaching process to work with folks um, in helping them improve themselves um, in their careers and in, even in their personal lives. So it's, it's if you know how to do it well, um, it's not just cybersecurity, your own personal life can be tremendously improved um, if, you, if you use and apply critical systems and design thinking. Title of SPAF's book, Brian. Yeah, yeah I'm backing that. up to it. Myths and misconceptions, I think. We'll pull that up, and I'm putting a link to that in the chat. Yeah, I forget what the order is. Yes, myths and misconceptions. You know, the, the idea of myths and misconceptions, um, I went to the eye doctor a couple of years ago because I was having a problem looking at a disc, you know, when the pixelated, like at a... At a uh, at a subway station or like a train station where you have digital displays and it was fuzzy for me. I go to the doctor and, you know, she does the test on me with different lenses. And suddenly when I, there was this one lens, one particular prescription rate. Um, and suddenly it was, it was all clear. And she's, and I said, okay, so what's this about? And she said, this is to prevent you from becoming short-sighted. And that stayed with me a lot. Um, because that was really when I put the right lens on, I could see things in a much better, better, better way. The point of that story was critical thinking is about picking up different lenses and looking through it, looking through your problems, any problem in life. And the topic of today is cybersecurity. But if you start using the right lenses, try on different lenses, you'll start to look at problems in different ways. And that is going to differentiate you in your career like nobody else. Um, this seems like a very simple thing, but trust me when, when I say it, it's only a few percentage of people who do that. Again, from an introvert standpoint, 65% you are an introvert, so you naturally have the ability to do this. So I would say nurture that ability and be open. Read Professor Spafford's book on critical thinking. Um, understand what that means, but that is absolutely a good metaphor is to put the lens on. Okay. okay. Um, I don't see any more questions here, but uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you both for joining us. This Mike. was a great, great uh, presentation, uh, very, very informative and very entertaining too, as well. And um, we will be putting this on our YouTube page and on our website uh, in the next couple of days. Splendid. Thank you. We look forward to it. All right. Great. All right. Well, thank, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Just uh, uh, take care out there. Thank you. Bye, now. Bye everybody. All the best. Success in your careers.